welcome to the latest episode of Dairy Pod. I'm Rory McDonald, Regional Extension Officer with Gibbs Dairy, and I'm joined today by Daryl Rowe, who's an agronomist with PGG Rights and Seeds. Daryl, good to have you along. Yeah, good to be here, Rory. We're sitting here in Merbu North, and after a few days of pretty heavy rain, it's the 17th of, of July, uh, you know, heading into maybe early spring in the next few weeks that we'd have a chat about um, seeding, agronomy, cropping, and maybe spring and summer cropping options. And uh, um, and, and those kind of things um, but first I would like to ask you about um, taking a step back from the, the technical aspects of uh, of whether what crop you you sow and the agronomic traits that are associated with them and maybe looking at the overall farm system and where you know that crop might fit into your system you, you really feel that's quite important that people think about that before they make a decision absolutely Rory I think that people have really got to understand what their system is uh, you know when they're calving patterns where their feed budget uh, feed gaps are you know, by doing feed budgets and looking at their whole system to look at um, where they're likely to have uh, a lot of issues around providing feed for the for the animals and, and how that affects their system. Yeah, so you're talking about knowing when when your herd feed demand is, is, is peaks and troughs throughout the year and that's obviously dependent on calving pattern and, and whether you're split or whether you're seasonal and, and whether you have young stock or, you know, all, all these other things that affect that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got to look at uh, how many stock you're running on the home place. Have you got an out block? You know, what the pressures are, what your daily growth rate's likely to be, you know, what varieties you've got in presently, what's the status of those paddocks, uh, how much feed are you buying in, uh, and then that all goes through to making a decision on, on when and where and why you're going to grow these crops. Yeah, yeah. And um, I guess the most common crop, you know, that we see on, on certainly in south of southern Australia and Gippsland region anyway is, is, is perennial ryegrass. Um, um, you know, like um, th- that's probably the base of most dairy farms. And from there, you're, you're maybe tinkering around the edges with a portion of the milking platform to fill in feed gaps with, with crops or, or annuals or other options. Yeah, certainly Gippsland allows us to, to grow ryegrass as a predominant pasture. And I mean, as it's always been said, if you can grow ryegrass, grow ryegrass. But unfortunately, as the seasons have gone, we've certainly drifted into uh, tougher times for some of those. Some of the persistence hasn't been as good. So we're seeing people look at different alternatives, whether they're using loosens in the grazing platform, whether they're using fescues, like tall, tall fescue uh, with the summer actives. Uh, and looking at even some of the coxfoots in those really dry areas as well. But but certainly you, you've got to evaluate how those are going to fit into your system if you're going to, to go that way. Yeah, and I guess perennial ryegrass persistence is probably the number one thing that you hear farmers, you know, really frustrated with. And it's the reason why, you know, as I think you said to me earlier, in an ideal world, you should get 10 to 15% of the of the of the farm milking platform maybe sold with perennial ryegrass so every eight or ten years you're coming back with a new variety but very few farmers are achieving eight to ten years nowadays off of persistence out of perennials um but what do you think are the reasons for that or, or? Oh, a lot of it's uh, they're saying they're still using older varieties they're buying in feed to fill those feed gaps they're, they're not doing or understanding how much feed some of the new ones grow or, or how to feed some of them so yeah uh I think that a lot of it is seen as a big cost to their business, whereas actually the big cost is not doing it. Um, but persistence, whether it's becoming, becoming a problem, whether it's understanding that which is persistence in the plant or is it persistence from reseeding, which a lot of the older varieties do, um, what's the endophyte status, which certainly gives us a good protection around the season, and, and sort of is it a later flowering variety that it's going to produce feed out of season, and sometimes that gets taken up in grazing. Uh, which leads to um, reducing that per- persistence as well. Yeah, so 
like I guess a counter argument to that you hear a lot of people say the newer varieties they don't persist as well and you hear people talking about the old Vic Rye or whatever that, that hangs around but it was interesting you just mentioned something there that I thought that was interesting you reckon that there's a, two different types of persistence there's through re regenerating through reseeding every year which is kind of the older varieties because because they're so short they go into seed very early in in spring relative to the more modern varieties which are maybe try to be are trying to be bred to persist through the whole summer is that correct yeah the older varieties were certainly bred for seed and they certainly to the the way they maintain their perennialities is by setting a lot of seed and finishing flowering early. Uh, we're sort of looking at flowering and finishing in early September, even to October, uh, whereas the later flowering varieties now go right through to December. Uh, a lot of the, the newer products are designed to have low aftermath heading, so they're not going to into uh, high seed heads, high seed content. So a lot of that regrowth is coming back into roughly about 10 to 15% of the plants might have seed heads. Um, yeah. So it's maintaining leaf and quality, whereas if you're looking at something like a Vic Rye or Nui type grasses, they're going to be nearly 100% seed head by the time you get to November. Yeah. So the quality angle's a lot, lot better. So do you think then, I guess, grazing management, I, I would say possibly is one of the big factors affecting persistence as well and, you know, off using correct grazing management techniques and not, not hammering the pastures. But do you think you got away with poor grazing management on the older pastures in, in some ways? A lot of those did because of the seed bank that it was able to generate into the ground. I mean, we're seeing a lot of those um, older type grasses and their poor response times. I mean, they'll take heavy pressure, but they certainly don't recover and produce anywhere near the dry matter of the newer varieties. But they're setting a lot more seed. The seed bank's there. They're regenerating through from there. And that's where we see it pick up in the, um, in the after the autumn break. You'll see some of those paddocks will come away from that seed that's on the ground. Yeah, that's an interesting point, Darren. And what about annuals and Italians in, like, you know, They've become more probably common in recent years as, as people kind of turn away from perennials. Um, you know, what's your thoughts on, on them? They obviously have a, a place in, in a lot of systems. Yeah, a, a good quality late flowering annual can certainly produce a lot of high quality feed, for certainly for silage and for hay, uh, for the fodder conservation. As, and then the Italians will provide a lot of, uh, a lot the same, especially around uh, high quality over summertime. We'll give you that later quality, a, a lot higher quality than what annuals will. Um, the trick is to actually pick something that's going to benefit to you. Um, certainly coming out of uh, a harsh winter where you've got to maybe address pug paddocks, we're looking at uh, you can oversow some of those Italians. They won't vandalise. They'll maintain their feed quality right through summertime. And if you've got the can right the conditions, they'll go through into that second year beautifully. Uh, some people like to use some of the cheap annuals just to top up paddocks. Unfortunately, they don't work very well because as soon as we hit a hot weather, they sort of run a, a leaf and a seed head. And so around now, you're going. saying people are using those, those cheap yeah, annuals? Yeah, we, we're seeing uh, coming into spring each year that we see a lot of tatilla product go in the ground because, oh, it's cheap, but uh, it never gets utilised because it never actually provides yeah. or fills in that feed gap. Whereas if you were, if you were desperate to, uh, to get something in and you didn't have as big a budget, maybe look at using the uh, later flowering annuals. But I'd certainly be heading down that um, Italian path to maintain quality and, and also get the value of having it into the second year. So you, the, the theory with the Italian is that you saw it, you can still saw it around now, yeah? Yeah, it, it's obviously day length and germination. It's going to be um, uh, quite a lot longer to get it out of the ground. If you'd be looking at a, a variety that's got really good vigour. 
yeah. uh, looking at one of those better types, a lot of the commons aren't going to, they're not selected on Vigor. A lot of the newer types are certainly selected. So you want to get them out of the ground quickly and get them away. Um, and it'll last for two years, though. That, you'll generally get two years, no problems with the, um, well, it really depends on the season. If we go through another harsh season, it's really going to be hard yeah. to hold any ryegrass in the system. Uh, yeah, that's over the summer the, period. Yeah. Over the summer period. But yeah. Yeah, if it hasn't gone through that vernalisation, it's not going to be setting seed, so it'll be looking at the next season. Yeah. And getting the correct soil fertility and grazing management in that scenario is really important as well. Yeah, look, grazing management in any of the ryegrasses is uh, paramount to, to getting the most out of the production. Um, the, the critical thing is not to graze too hard. Yeah. I think people just take it back to bare bones, back to the boards, don't leave anything in the paddock. Well, by doing that, you're shortening your rotation and you're yeah. certainly shortening up the lifespan of that plant as well. Because I mean, that leaving leaving a leaf, leaving residuals at it between that four and six centimeters is is um is critical to allow the paddocks to recover. I mean, we've got to leave some leaf on the uh, on the plants to act as a solar panel to draw that light in to get away. Otherwise, it just never catches up. And a lot of those paddocks, um, they just never grow the feed. They never set the root system. Um, you know, it's all about getting the, the healthier plants, the healthier swards, and stands are certainly all those that are grazed properly. And of course, if if it's undergrazed and there's a you know which can happen in spring when yep. you know perhaps a lowly a lower stocked farm where there's suddenly a huge flush of growth and um, you that's not ideal either you're not going to get much tillering and that's going to hurt you then over the summer when you get in yeah it certainly does and i mean and that needs to be accounted for so whether you have to then go back in and top it or um, or take it off another way um, yeah sometimes you might have to look at um, taking those paddocks out of rotation and silage and, and silage yeah. yeah but you've certainly got um flexibility to do that We'll move on a bit to um, some of the cropping options then that might be in place for farmers over the probably spring, summer period. Um, you know, as you said earlier, it's really important that you think about where these crops fit into your system to fill a particular feed gap. Yeah, spot on. Like, I mean, we're looking at uh, having a plan, look, plan ahead. So, I mean, whatever the season's dealt us now, we're ca- whether we're coming out of the wet, uh, if you're looking at filling those feed gaps, have a plan about where you want it to go, how long you want it to go, how quickly you want that feed, and then you've got a range of products that can that are on offer to you. I mean, some of the brassica options are really good options for for quick, high quality feed. Um, yeah. And the brassicas are in general a very high quality feed, yeah. and generally give you very good utilisation as well. Um, some of the brassicas, uh, the leafy turnips, you can grow in six to eight weeks. Um, you know, and that's to cover that nitrate period so you're not giving um, nitrate poison so, so you can't really go into a brassica before six to eight weeks no not in not in the leafy turnips obviously there's a range like the leafy turnips are the are the quickest feed that you're able to move on to then you've got the rapes and then you've got turnips you've got um, maturities that you've got um, rapes are around that 10 to 12 week on maturity uh, turnips are 12 to 14 weeks uh, some at six to uh, yeah. depending on um, variety um, and it's relatively cheap to put in a brassica crop yeah most of brassicas across the board you're probably looking at so depending on your sowing rates uh most of the the turnip leafy turnips you're looking at uh, three to five kilos um but putting your costs in you're probably looking about 200 dollars uh, a hectare yeah uh, and most of those even with the turnips you're probably still wanting to budget around that even though you're looking at a lesser sowing rate but you still need to fertilize accordingly and it's the same cost to, uh, to, yeah. to put it in the ground. And I guess if you were choosing between a turnip and a brassica, important to think about the overall system there again because your turnip isn't going to be available to graze till well into the, the summer, really. That's Whereas right. You, you, if, you, if you need feed earlier, um, yeah. you're probably better off looking at 
Nebraska or yeah, it's certainly that's where you've got to have that plan. Is like when when if you've got a feed gap, you need to feed early. Look at the uh, earlier leafy turnips. Uh, look at the rapes for multiple grazings, uh, and then if you're looking at filling that feed gap over summer, look at the at the turnips there as well. And I guess um, there is also limitations. You can't just feed cows. Uh, I think most farmers know this anyway, but you can only feed a certain portion of of brassicas or turnips in the diet of a dairy cow. You know. Yeah, we, we certainly can assume they know these things because uh, it pops up all the time. Um, but you should never feed more than a third of, um, of the diet of brassica. So roughly six uh, or seven kilos of dry matter. Yeah, we sort of you generally work on five to six, and basically having uh, you know a good fibre source there, having clean water, having healthy stock going in, having all your vaccinations up to date, and um, you know just checking stool samples and seeing and allocating accordingly. Don't give them too much in case they they waste it. But if you budget the paddock, uh, work out your tonnages, put up your fence, even back fence to, to, to get more out of those paddocks as well. Yeah, and possibly even in particular, you don't want to break through a fence in a, in a paddock of, brassic, of leafy turnips or, or brassicas, you know, because then they'll just eat whatever they want. So yeah. double fencing potentially. Yeah, double fencing is quite, quite handy. Well, so safety. There is, and from a safety angle as well. I mean, the, the whole thing is... Uh, it, there is a bit more work to the brassica crops, but the returns are, f- are greater. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably something you should be thinking about as well. There's typically more work to any of these cropping options than yeah. than, a, than a straight ryegrass if you yeah, choose to go through that. So that. But I mean, a lot of the times where you're doing um, your strip grazing, even on those ryegrasses, it's not a lot more hassle to do this for, for brassicas. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, what about chicory, um, Daryl? That's another one that... It pops up quite a lot. A very popular option around the, yeah. the Gippsland region. In well, well, chicory is getting more and more popular, but what you've got to decide is whether you want it just as an annual crop or you want a perennial crop. So there is two different types. There's, there's the annual chicory and then there's the two to four year kind of buy. Yeah, buy there's, there's, there's probably, there's a lot of annual chicories on the market and there's probably about three perennials that, um, that'll do the job. You're looking at, say, two to, two to four years out of those, depending on how they're grazed. Uh, we get a lot of people these days using the chicories um, to sow with um, legacy um, with white clovers and also uh, red clovers, uh, just purely to um, to get those clovers established at the right time, but to give a lot more quality into yeah, them. Yeah, those two well. plants complement each other quite well in a dairy cover. They diet. really do. So we're looking at chicory going in so we can get that in early enough. We're probably looking at about 14 weeks till maturity, uh, but it'll provide a lot of extra feed over summer. Uh, sort of out of season compared with the ryegrass, which is probably shut down by then. So yeah. it's giving you that um, that feed out of season. Yeah, it's got that deeper tap root, hasn't yeah. it? That just allows it to access moisture further down in. Exactly. In the exactly. Ground. So it'll certainly uh, hold in the profile. And the beauty of it is, is that then we can just go in without spraying it out in the in the autumn time, and and so our perennial grasses straight into the top of it. Yeah, and is there much of a difference in price between annuals and perennial chicories? Uh, yeah, there's probably about a, a 25 to 30% difference, uh, obviously being higher in the perennials, but you're certainly getting a, a lot higher tonnage out over a, a number of years. Yeah, and is there any difference in accessibility of, of feed early in, in establishment, or is it the same for both? Not so much. I mean, it's, it's only a, it might only be a couple of weeks, if anything, but I, I certainly don't uh, factor it in as an earlier one. Yeah, so whereas unlike ryegrass, where annual ryegrass will always be able to graze quicker or yeah. heavier tonnage early than the that's, perennial. That's right. Well, we, you will get a higher bulk in those first grazings out of the annuals, but you'll certainly over the whole season, the um, the, the perennials will yeah. certainly uh, balance that out. So again, n- knowing where the feed gap is and yeah. if it's immediate or if it's more medium term is really important when you're making that decision. Um, yeah, what about um, turnips, um, uh, Daryl? I think you might touch briefly on it, but uh, um, single 
single crop turnips you know they're probably you know more 14 16 week options so going into later yeah. later spring early summer really before you can access them aren't you and we're probably looking at you know yields of um between 8 and 12 tons these days um, we certainly hope that if we can get them clean enough we can and fertilize accordingly if the season goes with you you can get a little bit more but uh those days uh don't seem to come around as much yeah the the great thing about turnips is that they provide a lot of bulk and a lot of feed um at a particular time of the year uh which is that uh, for that autumn yeah and they are high quality as well very high quality yeah um, yeah that's the good thing about the brassicas and the turnips i guess they're, they're equivalent to good quality annual good quality ryegrass so in terms of me you know even higher probably in in, in many yeah, cases yeah and sort of in the and whole, that's what drives milk production yeah. and animals really accept them and go well you can strip graze them and it takes this pressure off those other paddocks that you should be looking after at that time of year yeah i mean so growing a lot of these summer crops especially turnips and that will certainly take pressure off some of those perennial grasses um, that you wouldn't want to be grazing at that time yeah. of year you do hear people talk about photosensitization as an issue on on some yeah. brassicas yeah a lot of that's around nitrates and uh, understanding when you've uh, also when you've put the nitrogen on yeah, uh, but it's also being aware of uh, you know the conditions like humid, overcast, overcast conditions yeah. and all those sort of things, um, and just being aware that um, you know being kind of proactive and watching. Yeah, proactive is rather than reactive. Uh, you put the cows in, don't leave them on there all the time, but just keep watching them. Those yeah. sort of things because uh, yeah, photo does show up quite a bit in certain areas. Um, and I guess. Uh, two other options that are probably a bit more kind of less quality uh, daryl but very kind of common as well and they're probably going into later spring here now would be sorghum and millet um what you want to comment on them maybe in a... yeah well millet's the old uh, safeguard that uh, people use every year they use it as a cheap option it's nice and cheap but what we're seeing this year is that it's likely to be very expensive uh, per hectare you're probably looking at 200 dollars hectare to put millet in um, yeah you know and on its own it doesn't provide a lot of dry matter a lot of it's not very well utilized it does it does look very good um it's certainly it's been a cheap feed in the past but it's certainly getting more expensive as um, seed supply is drying up the thing with millet is that you, you, if you're still going down that path, you probably look at putting a brassica in with it just to lift that uh, feed quality. quality of but um, but if you do that, you then can't ensile it too well. It doesn't work so well. you sort of got to make that decision. Are you grazing it or are you going to um, conserve it? So you can conserve millets and sorghums. And, and I know people in East Gibson have used sor sorghum bales of silage and things like that. Yeah, and they're predominantly grown. Like sorghum has been predominantly grown as a silage option. Uh, it's got to be fine chopped. Uh, some people use it as um, chop it and feed it to the cows. Um, some people just graze it. Uh, but it has that flexibility of that you can go either way. You can either graze it or conserve it. Um, sorghum is a great option. The thing is, though, it has to be um, sown on a high soil temperature. So we're not likely to yeah. see um, you know, the millet or the sorghum going in until the last week in November, especially in Gippsland, across Gippsland. You're probably looking at South Gippsland, probably take that into early December. And that's really critical because uh, if, it, if the soil temps aren't high enough and it's not uh, continually rising from there, if the crop takes a check, it, it'll never really recover from it. Yeah, and I think it's, timing is another thing that we talk about a lot in these cropping things. It's a really important point there because, you know, there's no benefit to putting it in too early if the soil temperature isn't right and you're actually probably losing out on what crop is already there. If, if there's an annual there from last spring that you or last autumn that you want to bring through and maximise the you know the yield off that annual through to maybe late october or whatever if you're choosing to put sorghum or millet in in, in november um you know if you go in earlier just only you're not really getting any benefit in terms of yield in the sorghum and you're actually increasing your risk of a failed crop 
in that scenario. Exactly, and I think that's once again it's planning about what you're going to do with the, coming out of those paddocks. I mean, if those paddocks are sown into a later flowering annual, you don't want to take them out too early. Um, if they're sown into an earlier flowering one, you might look at using a different option, which might be the brassica. But you really just can't um, just sow a, a crop of, of sorghum or, or millet just for the sake of sowing it. It's got to fit into your budget, but it gives you flexibility. I mean, if you, if you take uh, your feed, feed late off those late annuals or those Italians before you, you rotate it, maybe. Um, you know, the sorghum will give you certainly a good option to encapsulate some fairly good growth rates over, over summertime. So they will accumulate dry matter very quickly in summer, more so than, than some of the other options? Would yeah, you the growth rates are phenomenal over um, over the summer period, especially if you're getting humid conditions, thunderstorms. They'll make every bit of yeah. their water use efficiency is far greater than what it will be out of ryegrass. Yeah, so you're looking at, you know, you can get 8 or 10 tonnes of dry matter per hectare out of those crops. Yeah, exactly, in, in a relatively short time, whereas yeah. you're certainly you're going to have uh, high quality out of rye grasses, but over a longer period of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and just to, before we move on, um, we didn't touch on the sowing dates for maybe the chicories and the brassicas. You know, um, what's the ideal sowing date for some of these chicory options? Well, well chicory any time from uh, September through to um, October. Is yeah. pretty good. I, I certainly, uh, if we can get onto those paddocks, we'll you're looking at 12, in. 14 degrees kind of soil temperature. Yeah, right? we certainly, and that will germinate fairly well. Obviously, as we're coming out of out of winter, August is probably a bit early, but coming out of um, winter as the days get longer and the soil temps start coming up, it's certainly once you hit September, it's a pretty good time to get in. As long as you can get on those paddocks and they're not too wet, yeah, and you're, and you're prepared because I mean, certainly South Gippsland can be very wet at those time of years, which limits your um, opportunity. Yeah. You mentioned some uh, mixes as well, uh, some blends there. I thought I, th I know speaking to you that there earlier you talked about peas and yeah, uh, and mix in with maybe brassicas or. Uh, yeah, you're certainly looking at uh, if you look at some of the cereals, they can be really good options, like using a true spring oat, like a quambi or a or a um, Flinders oat, which are basically a true hundred day oat. If you use traditional type oats in springtime, they'll generally run to head fairly quickly. But if you're using uh, like a, a spring oat with a, a pea, like a Morgan pea, um, they'll provide a big bulk of silage very quickly and they can go in from any time from basically late July right yeah. through to um, into October. We can sow those and, and obviously sowing later will reduce our yield, but they'll potentially yield about 10 so tonnes of silage. If you sold them early, say in, in July, August. Is there issues with uh, moisture and establishment or uh, uh, waterlogging? As, as, as long as it's not too waterlogged and the paddock's uh, free draining uh, and you can get in there and sow it. Um, you know, like no cereal or, or any of the peas like sitting in water. But uh, if, yeah. they, if, you, if you can on some of those dry areas, um, they can be a, a great crop to grow. Uh, for quick feed and high So you could even get a grazing off them and then lock them for silage. Yeah, obviously, if you could take a grazing, it reduces your silage um, tonnage at the end, but uh, but there's still another good option. You've got that flexibility in your system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, chicory, then, like we, we didn't mention too much about it. it, it's very useful as you go into maybe late summer and even into autumn, isn't that? That's where it probably comes into its own, would you say, relative to some of the other options? Yeah, well, well chicory will certainly provide um, high, very high quality milking feed in that summer period. In that yeah, summer a months. time when it's hard to get high quality yeah, milking feed. When, you, when you're really struggling to get, uh, to, 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 to get anything growing, um, the chicory, certainly with its taproot, um, is producing a lot of high quality feed and, and fairly quick rotations as well and, and quick rotations and we're certainly and it suits a range of soil types so i mean we've grown on peak country all the way through to to very sandy country to um, some of the hill country in south yep. and and it does very well under irrigation is it 
an uh, option, or should you be looking at something else if you have that luxury at, of irrigation? Under irrigation, you're probably looking at there's some. It does quite well. It, it will respond over the summer months, but you're probably looking at um, my experience is growing something that's going to give you a high yield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another quite popular or relatively common um, forage crop that's grown on, on a lot of Gibson dairy farms and I suspect other parts of the country as well would be maize. Uh, um, Daryl, whether we talk about maize silage or forage maize, we can touch on both, but maybe maize silage first. Um, obviously, much more expensive to establish um, per hectare than than uh, some of the other options we spoke about, but it can give you that reward in terms of increased tonnage if done properly. Yeah, and look, maize can be a really good option if you set up for it. Uh, it's isn't a crop for everyone. Uh, it's a precision crop. Uh, it, there's a lot of input costs, but there's um, you know a lot of good return, and it will certainly grow a great amount of dry matter. Yeah. Um, what kind of yields would you expect then, Daryl, out of, out of maize? Yeah, well, most maize we're looking at uh, budgeting for a 20 to 25 tonne crop. Um, we've certainly exceeded that in a few other places, depending on water. We've certainly seen some dry land crops hit around that 18 to 20 tonne as well. So there's a kind of a ceiling of 18 to 20 tonne for a dry land maize crop, whereas you can go up to yeah. approach 30 tonne on a, on, with irrigation. Well, it really depends on, you've got to work out and budget out what you're actually wanting to achieve out of the maize crop. So if you're looking at, uh, if you only want to achieve a 16 to 18 tonne, you fertilise accordingly, and that'll bring your cost back a little bit. But uh, as a general rule, we use a cost of $3,400 a hectare, uh, which incorporates all your uh, preparation, your spray, your seed cost, your cultivation, and and your chopping um, right through, uh, and then you're adding your water costs on top of that. So it can be quite expensive, but your returns out of that can be quite good. So if, yeah. you, if you're getting a 20 ton crop, uh, and it's cost you about um, seven thousand dollars if you're using it at the high water level to get out of that, it's about $350 a tonne. Yeah. So and that's you, probably a moderate return, really. You yeah. you'd like to think that you could get even higher tons to dilute the more tons you get the more diluted the the, the cost per ton is isn't it? exactly and we've seen a couple of situations not so much in Gippsland, but we've seen where people have double cropped and they've brought the price back uh, down to about um, 180 to 200 dollars in places because they've had, actually had yeah. good water supply and of course that's a high quality feed a, a, a very good feed for a lactating dairy cow relative to maybe some of the other options although chicories and brassicas probably compare are comparable in terms of energy content but um you know maize silage can fit well in in certain systems depending if you need to offer you know a higher quality feed and out of season when there's no pasture yeah um, um and it can definitely be beneficial there um yeah i guess um is there any other things about maize silage that are important um maize is a really good option for a for providing that bulk feed but it certainly depends on when you can get it in and you're looking at uh if you go in earlier obviously if you're using longer crms which is a comparative relative maturity um which will give you a number and some of those crms up to around that 115 they'll give you a really big bulk uh, but the, the yeah, so that's are, not the actual length that's not 115 days from sowing to, to no, harvest that's the um that's the amount of heat units it needs on a days of heat units to uh, mature that crop yeah, so, so if you saw yeah, that in what, what time would you typically saw maize? Well, if you're looking at uh, some areas, if they can get them in around that September, early October, uh, for, with those longer serums, they'll probably be off uh, in about 140 to 145 days. Uh, but as the season goes longer, and as, you, as you're going into October and into November, you've got other opportunities with other CRMs that will shorten that up, but it'll still give you a very high quality 
um, bulky yeah, feet. Maybe so. a little bit of a yield penalty. But yeah, slight yield penalty, but certainly it's all about maintaining that quality. So there's no point putting in a, if you're sowing in December and you're going to put in a, a long CRM when you, you'd be using a shorter one, like you'd take a yield penalty, but you'd get a, a lot higher quality product. Yeah. Would you say that there's a bit more risk attached to maize? Is it, would it be fair to say that just because it, looking at the numbers, it's over 10 times the price of any other crop we've talked about so far to establish, but the rewards are there if you can pull off a really high yield and high quality. Yeah, well, the, the rewards are definitely there. So if you've got water, I mean, it's certainly one of the best crops for, for efficiencies. Uh, you're basically getting a, a four to one response, whereas you're getting on printing or grass, you're getting a, a one to 1.2 response. So you're certainly- yeah, So for every megalitre of water, you're getting four tonnes of maize yeah. versus only one or 1.2 tonnes of ryegrass. Yeah, exactly. So, and if that if that water cost is is quite high, I mean, you're certainly going to get a lot more out of the, yeah. the maize. So maybe better op- bigger option in some of those irrigated regions like Northern Victoria or, or even the MID potentially. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's certainly one to consider. I mean, the whole thing is that it doesn't suit your system. Have you got the ability to uh, feed it out, store it? Yep. Uh, have you got access to contractors and and agronomists to advise you through the crop as well? Yeah, and you can't you can't. I think you stressed this as well in previous conversations we've had, but you cannot take any shortcuts in particular on maize, on any crop, but really on maize silage, you know, you can't say I'm going to save a bit on fertilizer or I'm going to save a bit on, on, on spraying or whatever. You're just going to, you're going to lose, lose then really. The, the critical things is, is to do, follow the program. I mean, you've got to get your weeds under control. Uh, they'll certainly have a big impact on your yield if they're not um, controlled. Uh, get your insects under control by monitoring, but one of the the big things is actually fertilizing accordingly and for fertilizing properly um it's basically to get that yield and, and getting it on at the right times if, if you don't have all your fertilizer on by week six i mean you can't influence cob size after that yeah um and all that that's all a really important point oh, absolutely it? because you know 50 percent of your dry matter is going to come out of your cob in the last um, month of the um, of the crop uh, and if it's not uh if it's not established early enough you uh you just won't get the yield and timing's really important too, Daryl, isn't yeah. it? Like, uh, you know, as you said there, week six, so if you go in on week eight or something with the fertilizer, you're just, you're not getting the value out of it or the efficiency out of it that you would. No, certainly maize use a lot of nitrogen and a lot of potash. Um, and if you don't get that phosphorus on early, uh, the plant will never take it up later and you can't put it on later. So uh, you've got a little bit of phosphorus that you need to, to on sowing. Um, we had one crop last year which didn't get any phosphorus put in at the time and it was a severe yield penalty between around five and six tonne a hectare. So, and that that's was huge, like that's the difference. Yeah, that's you know, if you worked out that uh, in terms of, you know, um, for every tonne of dry matter grown, that could have been an extra $100 a tonne added or, or more, you know, which is a lot, like, you know, um, even even though feed prices, bought-in feed prices are very high at the moment, um, it's still it's still important to... To make those efficiencies and savings just a question on water use efficiency when you're selecting your crops that that's obviously going to be a consideration for some people daryl um you know you mentioned that maize is one of the most water use efficient crops and um, uh, what are what are the other ones that are options in that regard well certainly certainly millet and sorghum are up there as well uh, they'll produce a matter a, a higher amount of biomass uh, you're probably looking at a three and a half to four uh, to one response on those sort of crops um brassicas at three to three and a half to one, um, when you compare that to, to a one to 1.2 on perennial pasture, I mean, it, it shows you that they're a lot more efficient. Yeah. They'll certainly 
with the cost of water, and the cost of water is a, the big influencer here. If you're certainly not going to be using um, $600 a meg water to to um, to grow ryegrass, that wouldn't make grass. much sense. It's yeah. totally inefficient. Yeah. Uh, whereas you know you're certainly going to get a lot more out of those other other crops. Um, brassicas do very well when they're watered, but nece not necessarily having to be watered. Um, but yeah, certainly if you're going into a sorghum, if you're going for bulk sorghum and um, and maize, you certainly want to be maximising your uh, your water. Yeah, and just on sorghum, we didn't touch on this, but prussic acid is yeah. probably something that is a concern for some people. Have you, in your experience, have you seen much issues with that? Yeah, or prussic acid is it? pops up each year. It, it's a big one that people have got to be aware of. I mean, a lot of the newer varieties are a lot safer and it's being bred for, for safety, but you've got to follow the guidelines around grazing heights and uh, and making sure the crop isn't stressed. But um, prussic acid basically works like cyanide, and if an animal goes on too early and they... And they uh, they, they eat too much and they go into early or if they're into a stress crop or uh, it can be a really horrible death I mean, so is it more prevalent at undergrazing or overgrazing or there's a uh, correct grazing height of yeah you're sort of looking at around we always work on about 600 mils for a lot of those sedan sedan cross types and basically um, you know letting them letting them go in when the uh, when the crop isn't stressed uh, and there's no no and the animal's quite healthy um, and they'll, they'll yeah. generally and just and slowly so can you go in too late when the crop is too heavy because yeah, it does grow very quickly yeah, and very yeah, high when it goes too heavy it's losing its feed quality so once you're getting over about 1.5 meters you're starting to really lose feed quality so um you, yeah. you need to then look at chopping it or ensiling it you certainly wouldn't want to be grazing um at that height because they're just not going to get it and you probably won't get utilization either they're no, going to trample it'd, it'd yeah. be like eating cardboard so yeah uh you're better off to ensile it the um the trick is just to to make sure the animals are introduced to any of these crops slowly and, yeah. and just keep an eye on them of course the negative of sorghum is that it's not a very high quality feed you know um me of probably i don't know eight seven yeah. eight nine depending if you're lucky um uh, which is significantly lower than some of the other options we talked about or indeed ryegrass but um brown midrib is a newer kind of technology that's come in um in some of the sorghum varieties that can you know reduce that fiber content and increase the quality a little bit yeah, the BMR types are certainly uh, have been around for a few years. Um, they certainly probably haven't had the uptake of the others, just purely because they're on their maturities at ten to twelve weeks, um, and it's certainly growing them dry land. They get a little bit uh, hit and miss to whether you can actually finish the crop out. But the 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 brown mid ribs certainly a very good trait for quality. It's a lot safer and certainly a lot higher quality feed. So it's safer from a prussic acid point uh, of view. Yeah, they they tend to be a little bit safer, but you tend to you've still got to follow your um, your window. Um, grazing heights yeah and they're and, a bit more expensive obviously yeah, aren't they yeah they are a bit they're probably about another 30% more expensive than your sedan sedan top cost yeah. tops yeah so I guess you've really got to think about where the likes of a sorghum would fit into your system again ideally you don't want to be feeding too much of a feed like that to lactating cows um, but you might have some dry cows or some young stock or whatever that you could yeah, you certainly use sorghum as an opportunity to, it can be for grazing that younger stock or dry stock, but it certainly can be used to ensile as well. So it's, a, it's an opportunity and, and it is flexible in the way you can use it. Yeah. And it certainly will make better use of that water at that time of year as well. And similar principles apply to millet? Yeah, millet to a point. Millet's probably not as high quality. I mean, there's, I mean, sorghum is better quality than millet and you'll probably get more out of it, but... Um, uh, millet tends to be a, the old failsafe. It's cheap. That's what they used to say, but it's certainly going to be a lot more expensive yeah. this year. And I, I think there'll be far better options out there for people. Yeah. I guess um, we might touch on um, 
preparing for for a cropping program that you're doing and and being prepared and 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 a lot of that is securing your seed early like you were saying that there's there's going to be some shortages of certain certain crops in terms of seed availability this year now yeah well certainly each year we're certainly putting this pressures on different uh different varieties um certainly millet's going to be very expensive this year compared to other years and certainly isn't that cheap option that it has been which might take away the attraction of it because as you said one of the one of the reasons millet was a favorite was because it was cheap but if it's, yeah. you might as well put in something of equal price that's better quality in some ways potentially would that be yeah you certainly look at uh, if, you, if it's going to cost you five dollars a kilo for millet you might as well use something that's going to be very similar so that's where the sorghum might come into play yeah uh you know those products are certainly very short so millet sorghum may seed is very short this year so it'd be really good to for people to get uh planning and uh get their seed secured early uh because it's sort of uh nothing uh, disappoints people more than going into uh sow a paddock and they can't get seed and they end up taking a lesser option and and that defeats the purpose yeah um they don't get because the as they are later enough um sowing dates for both sorghum and millet you know into the into october november late october november you know it's pro- it could be too late looking for seed at that point or you're going to pay more exactly initially. what we saw last year is we just saw a lot of the seed that became available in those sort of uh, varieties were, were poorer quality or older seed or or seed that we traditionally wouldn't use down here um, some of the older varieties started coming back on the market which are less safe than the others so you know if you if you want it wanting your um the good quality seed you need to be out there sourcing it yeah, you got to be thorough on. and well prepared and researched yeah, i guess exactly you don't so. want to accidentally sow an older variety of sorghum that might have a higher prussic exactly. acid content or something like that and get burned um we didn't touch on forage maize um, um much daryl do you want to comment on that yeah forage maize pops up each year and people ask about it um but basic forage maize is uh is just maize that's left over at the uh, the companies have which will be all different crms so they could be an 80 crm up to, to 120 they're designed not to be taken through for for silage or harvest they're not so if you do take them through for cob set, you'll have some that'll be uh, cobbing up about um, a month or six weeks before the other varieties. Um, it's certainly not a, an efficient way of uh, growing a crop. It's not a high quality crop by any means. Um, yeah. So you're, the benefit of maize is, of course, the the quality that's in the cob. Yes. Which you harvest at the right time in silage. But if you're not going to get that, you're there's not really much other attractions there's, to it there's not much to be gained it just becomes a and a bit more of an expensive uh option you'd be better off going down the sorghum path or, or the millet path yeah because it's going to be a lot of fiber in the stalk and the yeah and the leaf similar to maybe some of the mother c4 yeah, you've got a lot of a lot of a lot of lignin in those plants because um you know to hold them up so where yeah. the cob is i mean you're, you're probably looking at about five feet where the cob is and it's all lignin and yeah that. so you've got a lot really low energy quality. low yeah. feed quality yeah mm. yeah um so yeah look i mean i said i'd mention it because you do hear in some discussion groups people talking about it and uh, as an option but it sounds like you reckon sorghum millet could be just as just as a better option really for similar quality yeah personally, i think so probably cheaper as well yeah i think so i think you get better returns and it's far easier to handle yeah yeah um what about um i guess to summarize in daryl one thing you were really strong about and i fully agree is the idea of really being proactive and and being on top of a cropping program and being aware of why you're sowing a um um a particular crop. I mean, you've got to ask yourself why every time you do any uh, um a decision like this because it is an investment, a significant investment if you have a lot of hectares. Yeah, well, look, I'm a big, um, I really like the idea of plan, do, review it, and review it, and review it, and just really have that 
keep referring back to the plan and being flexible um, by reviewing it. I mean, things that will go wrong, but you can still review and go yeah. back. You've got options that can uh, fill in those gaps if something does go wrong, but you know, don't just put it in and just leave it and turn up at the paddock um, 12 weeks later. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. You've really got to go back and monitor it. So there it. is more work involved than just straight pruning the ryegrass if you left it. Yeah, well, I mean, or I mean, most people should be getting around doing their, um, you know, paddock inspections on a weekly basis anyway. But a lot of these crops you should be looking at um, daily, so looking at insects and looking at uh, weed component of the paddock, um, yeah. you know, taking action, being proactive rather than reactive yeah and i guess being adaptable as well you know like i mean for example we're sitting here now and we've had probably 70 or 80 mil of rain in this region in the last three days there's probably going to be a lot of pugged paddocks out there and um, they might suddenly become an option for a um some of them might become an option for a spring crop if if they've been pretty pugged and pretty hammered and, and the existing sward has been damaged heavily yeah, and it's about basically assessing those paddocks when you can. Um, you know, how how bad the pugging damage is. Can they be oversown and topped up? Can they be smudged out? Um, but if they're too far gone, you, you're probably looking at uh, putting them into rotation or using them more of a sacrifice than, and putting it into rotation to renovate those paddocks. So And then look at those summer crops. So certainly the worst paddock should be done as um, the summer crop again. Yeah, and, you know, we want to avoid failed crops, I guess. And we, we talked about this you know previously many times there as well but um you know if your summer crop is going to go in or your spring crop or whatever and it's going to fail it should be because of a factor out of your control such as really extreme weather conditions that you really couldn't do anything about it's a killer when it's because of something you could have done right for example yeah. not putting on the herbicide or not putting on the fertilizer at the right time or or not getting the seeding correct or whatever you know you really you feel really strongly about that as well yeah the whole thing is you know you've got to plan these crops out plan what you're likely to get out of them look at look at all the components um, don't take any shortcuts uh, i mean because they'll certainly uh burn shortcuts you will burn you, yeah yeah you know certainly trying to it's a trade-off so if you do drop something out it'll be a trade-off somewhere in the system but can completely keep monitoring those crops um you know if you, if you don't put a crop in because of the weather i mean nothing's going to happen but if you put a crop in you're likely to pick up uh something if you've got the thunderstorms turn up you've got an opportunity i mean there's some things that are out of our our hands but the thing is by doing you know you're getting on top of your weeds doing your preparation getting your seeding in getting it rolled uh getting it up monitoring all the time you should have a pretty successful crop yeah okay well that's some really good advice there Darren. so uh, thank you very much for your time and hopefully we'll have a good um, season and some good growing conditions around the country over the next few weeks and months ahead yeah thank you rory and look forward to a, a prosperous year thanks for listening to this episode of dairy pod Remember that cropping and sowing decisions are really important and expensive, so always get advice from your agronomist or your trusted advisor to ensure that you make the best decision. And remember to you can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, and we look forward to having you back again next time.